Good morning, Disciples Church and family guests. We're thankful that you're here with us today. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I want to say that I am praising God for all of the women in our church who make up Disciples Church, who help make this family so special. I'm thankful for uh, the young girls and young adult women who are being trained up to be godly women as well. I want to preach a sermon today called Holy Women. And I want to preach it from the New Testament letter of First Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. First Peter chapter 3. In Peter's first letter to the churches of Asia Minor, he's writing to encourage them and build them up. A hard time. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 13, Peter admonishes believers to be subject or submissive for the sake of every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as set by him. In other words, Peter's telling the church, pay your taxes, be respectful towards law enforcement officers, Local officials follow the rules of the land. Following this theme in chapter 2, verse 18, he addresses the servants in, in the church and admonishes them to be submissive to their masters with all respect, both to the kind and to the overbearing. The way they're treated is not to then cause them to bring variance, variance to how they submit themselves, but that they would be submissive no matter what. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 6, he instructs wives to be submissive to their husbands, and in verse 7, he instructs husbands to live considerably with their wives. Finally, in the sequence of all these thoughts, he tells the whole church in 1 Peter 3, 8, to have unity and sympathy and love, tenderheartedness and humility toward one another, and not to return evil for evil. Since today's Mother's Day, I want to focus our attention on chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But let me tell you that this message is important for all of us. Today's sermon is not just special for mothers. Consider all who can take away something vital and important today in these varied ways. Mothers, I pray that you, as a result of our time in the Word today, would would know what God has called you to. What it means to be a godly mother in Christ. Wives, I pray that you would know what God has called you to, what it means to be a godly wife in Christ. Single women, I pray you would know what it means to be a holy woman in Christ. Single men, I pray that you would know what God has called you to, in Christ, and how to pray for the godly women in your life, and how to treat the women God has put in your life. Husbands, I pray that you would know what God has called you to in serving and supporting your wife in Christ. Dads, I pray that you would know how to pray for and build up your daughters in Christ and support your children's mother. Everyone can grow 
and be sanctified as a result of our time in the Word today, and I pray we all do. Let me read our passage. 1 Peter 3, 1-6. through 6. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the Word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. First thing I want us to see here is the foundation of a great and godly woman. The answer is given threefold in verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And therein lies really the outline of our time this morning. Number one, that these holy women hoped in God. Number two, that they, because they hoped in God, they adorned themselves a certain way. Namely, with a gentle and quiet spirit. Number three, by hoping in God and adorning themselves With a spirit of tranquility, they were submissive to their husbands and honored God in this. Because of these three things, Peter calls them holy women. Their spirit and their demeanor are distinct from the world and are precious to the sight of God. Ladies, I pray that that is your greatest aim, that you really truly long for nothing more than to truly know and Honor the Lord to be precious in His sight. Not only are they precious in God's sight, but they are also powerful in the sight of unbelieving husbands. Peter's desire is that women in his life, the women in his life, would follow the example of the holy women of old, and that they would win those around them, husbands, friends, kids, to Christ by their servant, reverent, Christ-exalting behavior. So let's take these three in verse 5 and look at them one by one deeper this morning. Number one, hoping in God. The holy women are called women who hoped in God. They, They learned how to preach to themselves the way the psalmist did in Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me. Hope in God, for I shall praise Him, my salvation and my God. In the passage, Peter uses Sarah as his example. In Hebrews 11, the place that we often call the Faith Hall of Fame, it's a chapter full of Definition of faith and then great examples of faith throughout it. 
Faith is defined in verse 1 as the assurance of things hoped for. And then in verse 11, Sarah is given as an example among other godly people who had great faith. Saying, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. In other words, Sarah hoped in God. She looked away from herself. She looked away from the norms of nature in her barrenness for 90 plus years. And she banked and trusted in and hoped in God to do His work in His perfect time to fulfill His promise that she would have a child. That she would be a mother of the nations. Now, this didn't come easy for Sarah, and not without real need for growth. I pray it's a great encouragement to you who struggle, that even those named in the Faith Hall of Fame had great struggle, great moments of of struggle and, and sin. She heard God make the promise to Abraham, and when she heard it, she laughed. And did not believe. Genesis 18, verse 12. I want to, again, I want to pause. I want you to capture this because many of you ladies are tempted to tune out this morning. The moment I mentioned that today's sermon was called Holy Women. Because you're quick to think, that's just not me. I want you to see the the woman being used as an example had great flaws, great moments of lacking faith and struggle. All of us struggle with sin. And even when your faith has failed, the point is you repent, you confess that sin, and you, you run from it. You turn to God. You turn to Him in faith. You combat the fact that you stepped into sin and to actions that dishonor him, actions that showed no faith, gave in to your flesh. And to see that even someone like Sarah, who had this huge misstep, and in more than that example, and others too, still went on to persevere and to have faith in God to the point where she, for generations since, is looked to as an example. God rebuked her for her laughter. The loving thing to do when we're in sin, when we are disobeying God or not walking by faith. It is loving to be rebuked. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is the reminder put forth? And praise God for her repentance. Because the next thing we hear from Sarah is words of exultation to God when Isaac is born. She gives God the glory for her child. And so the writer of Hebrews points out that God's rebuke and reminder is that nothing too, is too hard for the Lord. And it restored Sarah's faith. It did its work and caused her to hope in God. We can learn from this example that women who hope in God are women who are not perfect, 
but in the end persevere through sin and look away from troubles and misery and obstacles of life that can make life bleak or look, make your future look bleak. They look away and they focus their attention on God, on His sovereign power, on His love and forgiveness, who rules in heaven and on earth, to do what pleases Him, and, and that they find their joy and their identity in Him and His promises and who they are in Christ. And so I ask you, ladies, is it God who you have truly trusted with your life? Or do you have another agenda that you feel you must meet or accomplish? With temptation or strife knocking at the door all the time, do you hope in and trust in God or something else? I want you to see this morning that hope drives out fear. 1 Peter 3, 6 shows us what hope looks like in the stresses and threats of real life. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So there's a, an evidence of our identity of being adopted children of God, and in the outplay, the fruit of our life. And the presence of a hope in God drives away the evidence as it pushes away fear. Fear is real. It comes, it hits, but we don't let it rule. It's pushed away by clinging to hope, hope in God. Women who have Christ in their lives and live in faith are like daughters of Sarah, is what this text says here. Her children. The daughters, the daughters of Sarah are kind of brought in as, as given uh, the connection and that they fight anxiety that rises in their hearts. They wage war on fear and they defeat it with the promises of God. Their hope is in God not in things, not in circumstances, not in other relationships. And they know that following Christ will mean suffering, but they believe the promises, like later in 1 Peter 3, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy. Holy women who hope in God take this promise of blessing through their suffering. And they fight fear with the faithfulness of God. Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. That's what Hebrews 11, 11 says. She considered him faithful in his promises. And they do what Peter says in chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. I'll make it personal for you today. How are you handling setbacks? disappointments, 
even abuses, heartaches, calamities, painful happenings in your life. We need to see the ways in which women can suffer and do suffer in today's world. They're real. We're not trying to make light of that. Maybe there's a reality of a season or even time where you've known real oppression or even abuse from a man in your life. The media that constantly is driving a message that is abusive in its expectations for how a woman should look. The struggle many of you have faced of having seasons or, or, or even a lifetime of not being able to conceive or carry a baby to full term. Or simply the pain of childbirth is a real and true suffering and struggle. We could say clearly today to be a mother is to suffer. Not just at the beginning of life with birth, but during. Simeon said to Mary, Jesus' mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul. Mothers suffer when their children are born. Mothers suffer when children leave or run away or move out or grow up. Mothers suffer when children die. One that's a constant reality in my household is foster mothers suffer when a child that they have loved like their own is moved to another home. (coughs) Mothers suffer when their children are foolish, disrespectful. (coughs) Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. To be a mother is a call to suffer. But to suffer for what? It's not a call to suffer for nothing, but instead the perfect sovereign rule and purpose of God. Godly women stand on the sovereign rule and will of God in their suffering. They rest their souls in the firm and omnipotent hands of the faithful Creator. They cast out fear and they hope in God, so they prove to be daughters of Sarah and heirs according to God's perfect promises. His promise is eternal life for those in Christ, redemption, a renewed heart, a restored relationship with the King of Kings. Promise is life in Christ. 
The joy we find in Christ is not perfect circumstances, but rather joyful, humble submission to God's perfect will. I've sat with many of you over the years who have gone through or are going through true suffering, heartache. I've seen many of you face it like never before because of your growing relationship in Christ, sanctification, who is in you and at work, who is your power and your Savior, who provides you the ability to trust in Him, not begrudgingly, but joyfully, to honor Him when at the crossroads, when life's coming hard. I praise God for these victories. May they continue in us, and not only in us, but in a generation to follow and a generation after them. Amen? If you're facing hurts and trials, and, and what I just described is not your reality, then draw near to Christ. <coughs> and to his church, and to his word, and stop trying to go at it alone. Be blessed by his truths, to be reminded of his power and his promises, to be reminded of who he is and who you are in Christ, that you would truly know that living hope that is found only in Christ. Holy women hope in God. Number two, holy women adorn themselves a certain way. Look at this next part of verse 5. They adorn themselves a certain way. For thus, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. There's an adornment described now in verse 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. Why does Peter bring up the issue of clothes and hairstyle and jewelry? And, and what he's pointing at is, the, is their testimony. What is your testimony then the context of verse 1 and 2 is really critical here. He has in view women who come to faith in Christ, but their husbands are not believers. Because they love their husbands and want to honor God, they want to win their husbands to Christ. Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, your spouse, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter wants Christian women to win their husbands by a life of reverence and purity expressed in a submissive attitude that honors him as the head of the home. And he warns her not to preach at him. Do you notice that? That they may be one without a word. He's saying it is your actions, it is your character that would shine Christ and his grace in your home. Not your preaching at him. It is Christ in you, moving through you, 
as you grow. This doesn't mean you don't testify the gospel or speak truth, but it means you're you're not setting aside sanctified life and opportunities to be a servant and, and to show the joy and, and, and work of Christ in and through. You're not setting that aside just to just to speak over or to preach at him, but to point him to Christ with your life and attitude and submission. He warns her not to make her adornment external, but internal. So plainly, do not think that you can win him with trendy hairstyles, or a better tan, or delicate jewelry, or clean robes. You might in that way attract him to the bedroom, but not to God. Ladies, we can take this principle to all women, especially even if you're single. Although a godly man will need to be attracted to who God made you to be on the outside and give give that unique man eyes to see you in that wonderful way, it is your heart, it is your character, it is your personhood in Christ that a true godly man will long to know and cherish. Peter's saying your adornment is going to have to be a new woman within. And two keys we see of what a new woman within has. Number one, hope in God and no fear of man. What that means, ladies, don't put your hope in your husband. That's problem number one. Put your hope in God. It's maybe one of the most blessed parts of the wedding vows when I do a wedding that I give at the altar, this most special moment, is to love the two standing before me enough to make war with the potential idolatry that's happening, that everything is right in the world in that moment because this gorgeous guy, this beautiful woman sits right there across from you that you're committing yourself to. It's, it's a loving shake to go, your ultimate hope can't be in this person. They will let you down. They cannot be your savior. They cannot be what only God can be to you. You must have that there and every day after. Don't put your hope, single ladies, in getting a husband. Put your hope in God. The only man worth dating is a man who wants to be second in your life, not first. You take that one to the bank. I promise you'll thank me later. When you have put your hope in God, His sovereignty takes away your pride and His love takes away your fear. And what's left in your heart is gentleness and quietness. This reverence to God, beautiful submission to your husband, a meekness, a tranquility. This is the adornment that holy women long for more than anything else and should pursue. Uh, The 
too often men and women make the mistake of falling for a quote-unquote Christian by title. It's a badge they wear, but not a true heart character and priority of Christ in their life. I'm tired of watching men and women fall in love with others and shrink the importance of one's true and utter devotion to Christ to settle what what looks like a good thing. Convoluted with fun and romance. But all of that stuff changes over time. It is the true heart and devotion of your spouse that will mean the most to you. Who they are, what they prioritize, and how they live. So don't sell that short, single people. I can tell you after almost 20 years of marriage that my wife is truly most attractive when her heart is overflowing for God. There is a beauty and a wonder in that, in her, in that, greater than anything else. When it's shaping her and working through her. Ladies, you must fight the norms of a lost society who hangs their hat on worth being linked to outside adorning. It is not who you are and who you are in Christ is what matters most. Focus on these things. And avoid, make war with the sinful traps of the world's agenda. It is all they have. That's why they cling to it so hard. You have so much more in Christ. Look to him for your identity, for your value, for your character and priorities. Let it be your adorning through and through. One last step for us to take. Holy women, hope in God. This hope yields a meek and tranquil Christ-like spirit. And finally, that spirit expresses itself in submissiveness. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands. Verse 5 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. Notice that the call to submissiveness is not without purpose. In this particular instance, it is a Christ-like submissiveness that is a key part of winning a non-believing husband to the Lord. God designs us as men and women That's never without his perfect purpose for us, for his glory, for our joy. In today's culture, though, feminism would argue that any form of submissiveness is a compromise of one's self-worth. The belief is if I submit to others, I will be taken advantage of or be seen as of lesser value. At the center of Christianity 
is the king of the universe submitting himself to death on a cross as the ultimate act of submission to show the ultimate form of other-centered love that brings us into life with him forever. In our servant lifestyle and submission to others, you are pointing people to Jesus. The gospel is on display in these things. When men lead in their homes in a Christ-like servant way, the family is shown Jesus. When women are submissive to their husbands, they model the same Christ-like servant way and point to Jesus. I, I had a, a, a wonderful example of this in my own home. And being Mother's Day, I'm going to take a, a moment to share with you some of my mom's story. I'm privileged to have grown up in a home that showed me Jesus in this very way. I grew up in a home where my father was a fire captain of 30 years in Orange County Fire Authority. That meant he worked 24-hour shifts. Many days of the week, then, he would work multiple days in a row. We would not see him for multiple days. This meant that my brother and sister and I were reared and trained many days and nights by our mother, Julie. She paid the bills, handled the repairs, cleaned the house, cooked meals, helped me with homework, took us to church, played with us in the yard, disciplined us. She was a tireless doer of good for others. I've never, ever known anyone quite like Julie Kirstein. For most of my life, she has been my greatest example of Christ. Servant heart. But here's my point. When my father came home, many, my mother had the extraordinary ability and biblical wisdom and humility in Christ to honor him as the head of the home. She was, in the best sense of the word, submissive to him. It was... An amazing thing to watch week after week. My father came and went. He went. My mother ruled the whole house with a firm and competent and loving hand. And as he came home, my mother deferred to his leadership in a way that was very life-giving for our family. When he was home, it was my father that prayed at the meals. It was my dad that led the devotions. It was my dad who drove the family car. My fear of disobedience shifted from my mother's discipline to my father's. Because there he too took the lead. Now, my parents were not perfect. It was clearly evident when Christ was not the power by which my parents were living in any given situation. Times when my mother would skirt my dad's leadership caused a manipulation by us kids of mom to get our way. And it was toxic in the littlest, slight ways. Even as we were growing up, you asked Matt, we knew it. We knew how that breakdown gave us a window for sin. There's times when my father would disrespect my mother, 
neglect the treasure that she was and caused a breakdown in his leadership to point us to Christ as the as his perfect ser- servant leader. But a steady model was given for me, and from it I learned a biblical truth before I knew it was in the Bible. And I pray you hear it this morning, church. Let it break down the walls of our sinful society, the norms of our culture. That humble submission does not equal incompetence or inferiority. There is such a thing as submission that is not weak or mindless or purposeless. Christ-like masculine leadership in the home does not demean women. And since I've come to know many different agendas and definitions that the world has for womanhood, it is all the more clear to see the beauty of God's design. And, and, I, and I tell people, others outside of our church, often to see some of the great work that's happening, God's doing in our churches in this very area as fathers and mothers and husbands and wives truly are sanctified in these ways. It's making a significant difference. My prayer this morning is God's word is our ultimate truth about who God is and who we are. I exhort you with all of my heart this morning to consider these things with great seriousness and to not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Women, you cannot be this kind of woman without Jesus. Men, you cannot expect the women in your life to be this kind of woman without Jesus. Christ alone is the power for change, lasting change, real change, needed for a lifetime, not just a season or a moment. The holiness that comes out of a holy woman is the hand of God at work in your life. And why is this good news? It's good news, ladies, because we don't have to earn it. You don't have to try to be a godly woman and feel the weight of these things on you. You need to see and cling to Jesus who will change you from the inside out, give you renewed affections and priorities and commitments. If you are a female, will you stand with me real quick? Young and old. As a result of Christ saving you from your sin and changing you from within, it is Christ that defines you, not your appearance. It is your hope in God that drives out fear, not ideal circumstances. It is your submissiveness to your husband or the head of the house by which you live, or your shepherds in the season by which you might be single, that God's put in your life that helps illuminate the gospel testimony, not only to them, but to others who are watching. God is honored in this. 
Hear me again. It is Jesus who gives you the ability to hope in God, to have a meek and tranquil spirit, and to have God-honoring submissiveness to your husband or the head or shepherds he's put over you. I want to pray for you and over you as we close. Father, I thank you for this time this morning to be in your word and to see this beautiful text in Peter. I thank you for the women in our church, young and old, married and single. Some you have called to be mothers, some you haven't. They are precious in your sight. You have formed them and knitted them together. They are not a mistake. They are not random happenstance. They are wonderfully made by the sovereign hand of God, molded for your purposes. I pray, Lord God, that they would be encouraged today, that they would be challenged, that they'd be reminded of what you have done for those who have trusted in you for salvation to celebrate new life in Christ for those who still have it that maybe today is that day by which they finally stop fighting to be Lord of their own lives but to trust you as Lord of their life to not think any longer they have a better way or a better idea but to submit themselves to your holy word and what you proclaim and call it good. I pray for some of the women in our church who just might be in a season where they're just really hurting, struggling, suffering. That today they would be reminded that their hope must be in you. And that they would confess to you if they've put it on anything else. Their husbands, their children, their their life circumstances that they would truly be convinced unto action lifelong action that they're adorning the best part of their adorning is not external but internal who they are in Christ and who you've made them to be and how you're sanctifying them that for many who are burdened or or, or to sinfully clinging to or lazy about their, their looks, Lord, that they, would, that they would be redeemed in that and, and would be free of that in Christ to honor you with who they are. And that as you grow godly submissiveness in wives, daughters, the men of this church would treat the women of this church with great honor and respect. That we'd be quick to serve them, lead them in Christ. And that submission would not be seen by the world's definitions, but by yours. And would be a beautiful testimony of the gospel and groundwork for the work of salvation both in families and for those who see us from outside our families. 
world in this moment in time is, is, is screaming messages of man-made fixes of equality and just scraping bloody fingernails to try to find answers outside of you for peace and clarity of how these things should work. And yet, God, you blessed us with your written and holy word. So I pray we would not be so arrogant to think that we have a better idea, but that we would cling to your word and to you to define and direct us and to trust you with all that we are. We love you. Thank you for the women in our lives. Praise you for them today. Together we sing out to you cry out to you, Lord, will you be the king of our heart to truly rule in every way? For you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.